I'm Sarah, and I'm a Zoomer. I'm Mike, and I'm a Boomer. And this is the Zoomer to Boomer podcast. In case you have delicate ears or are easily offended, you might want to tune into something else because we occasionally swear, and we don't care what you think because we know what we think. So there you go. <laughs> what a okay. great disclaimer. <laughs> okay. All right. So today, Spotifyers, I'm going to describe a president and you tell me who he was. He was born into wealth and privileged, married to a beautiful woman, had a fervent following and an equally fervent opposition. He won the election by the slimmest margins, and he was a big fan of nepotism and pulling strings strings behind the scenes. Now, in current events, you might think this was Donald Trump, which would probably apply. But it was also John Fitzgerald Kennedy, to the, dis- <laughs> to the dismay of many young people who idolize him. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> JFK is one of the most like interesting and controversial characters throughout all of all of American history because depending on who you ask, he was either awful or a really great president and there's usually pretty much no in between. Um I've been long fascinated by JFK and his entire legacy. I know that you also have been interested in him for a very long time. Um, he has a very Why? storied life. <laughs> Why was I interested in JFK? Oh, because you were born on the day that he was laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. Correct. <laughs> and I've been telling you that since you were five years old. Yeah. So you should, probably should know that by now. Yeah, you actually share a birthday with JFK Jr., except Correct. JFK Jr. was three years older than you. Correct. Um, so... Yeah, we have. We, that's, this is something that we definitely have a, a connection to, and something that I'm really excited for us to talk about. Um, I picked. I had to cherry pick because his Wikipedia page is a million years long, but I <laughs> I wanted to get the most interesting parts. And the the best, the funniest thing is like his the part that I wrote on his assassination is like probably the shortest part of this. And there's some stuff in here that, like, I was reading about that I didn't even know about before reading it. So I'm really excited to get into it. Um, I I will say off the bat, I'm probably going to talk more about the things that I liked about what he did as president, because I do think that he was a good president. Um, I'm, of course, going to mention all of the dumb things that he did. Not all, but a bunch of the dumb things that he did and some of the mistakes that he made. Pardon me if I occasionally refer to him as John, because um, there's a lot of Kennedys in this story. And so sometimes it's easier to say John than it is to just say Kennedy. I know in formal writing, typically you would refer to somewhat a historical figure purely by their last name. But um, I'm just going to call him Jack. Jack. Because me and him were tight. This is my buddy Jack. Um, (laughs) But if you don't have anything else that you want to add before we get into it, uh, we can dive right in. Let's do it. All right. So John F. Kennedy, known primarily for serving as the 35th president of the United States from January of 1961 until his assassination in November of 1963, had a storied life long before he became the president. 
Oh, and feel free to interrupt me at any point. So he was born in May of 1917. He was the second born um, to Joseph Sr. Kennedy, and uh, his mom was named Rose Fitzgerald. Um, He had one older brother who was Joseph Kennedy Jr., and he had seven younger siblings, that being uh, Rosemary, Kathleen, Eunice, Patricia, Robert, Jean, and Edward. Um, Luckily, only a couple of them will actually feature in the story. Otherwise, we would be going on forever. Oh, Um, Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he was born in Brooklyn. Um, and some of his first memories were of like traveling to historical locations in um, Boston with his grandfather, John Fitzgerald, who he was named after, um, and his both of his grandfathers being political figures themselves would often have like political discussions like at the dinner table with all of the Kennedy kids sitting around, um, which is Sounds hilarious. like our dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, except I imagine there was a lot less yelling <laughs> at yeah. this dinner table. Um, and that reminds me, Brian Regan has an incredible bit about the Kennedy dinner table. You you definitely have heard it, but he's like, imagine, I don't know. I don't think I <laughs> imagine that dinner table. Ask not if you can pass the potatoes to me. Oh, that is great. I love it. I'm so going to look that Because, like, he started by talking about, like, what great speakers the Kennedys were. And he was like, but imagine right. that dinner conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Brian Regan, absolutely I, amazing comedian. That's the first comedian I introduced you to. Remember yeah. that? Well, I yeah. I had all those he's CDs. Just, he's just silly and he doesn't, like, swear. So I it's, know. like, it's easy to show a kid to that. I know, right? I, I really think that helped my sense of humor a lot because, like, <laughs> if you, you have to introduce your children to, like, professional comedy at a young age. Otherwise, <laughs> right. they're never going to make good jokes. <laughs> right. You're going to have to edit the shit out of this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so his aforementioned grandfather, John, whom he was named after, served as a U.S. congressman. As well as uh, he served two terms as the mayor of Boston. Uh, his his grandfather and his dad's side, P.J. Kennedy, was the Massachusetts state legislator. And his father was the United States ambassador for the United Kingdom. Uh, so needless to say, he had a lot of politics in his blood. Right. Um they even say at one point that like Joseph Sr. like handpicked Joseph Jr. to like be the next political heir and like planned from his childhood for him to become the president. Right. Like they had grand dreams for these kids. Um yeah. so in his childhood he went to a lot of different schools. I started listing them all, but then I just got tired because there were like <laughs> 10. Um he moved around a lot. Some of his schools just closed. Um and he was he suffered with rampant health issues throughout most of his childhood. So, um he wasn't really in a consistent school for more than like a year for most of his, you know, upbringing. And even when he got to college, he, um, he attended or he, uh, yeah, he attended Princeton for two months, but then he had to drop out because he got sick and he couldn't keep going. He was actually going to go to school in London because his whole family was like in London. He was there with like, I think Kathleen and his dad. 
And he was going to go to school in London, but he couldn't because of his health. He had to go home. And then he was like, okay, I guess I'll just go to Princeton since I have to stay home. And then he couldn't even go to Princeton because of his health issues. Um, But the following year, he enrolled at Harvard, got his bachelor's degree in government. (laughs) um, And he... He attempted to enlist in the Navy, like almost as soon as he finished his bachelor's degree. Um, But his his medical conditions, um, specifically his lower back pain, disqualified him from being in the Navy. But as he would often do, he just used his connections (laughs) to sneak him in anyway. (laughs) He literally was just like, hey, my dad knows this guy who works... uh, as a recruiter, so I'll just have him get me in, even though I'm technically medically disqualified. Um, well, there's worse things you could do. Yeah. In other words, like, get I really get disqualified. Get in the military. <laughs> get disqualified when you are healthy. Yeah. You know, that would be really bad. No, he did the opposite. It's like, you know, you know, like, it's not like bone spurs or anything like that. You know, he's like, you know, I know I got to... <laughs> Yeah, Kennedy was uh, the exact opposite of one uh, Mr. Donald in, in the yeah, fact that they were exactly. like, you cannot serve in the war. And he was like, bet. <laughs> I want to <laughs> serve in the war. Um, so he, I, I was reading about it. He served on a bunch of different, like, Uh, Navy vessels throughout his career. Um, In 1943, he was injured uh, in a collision with a Japanese submarine. Um, Despite his injury, he managed to tow a badly burned crew member ashore with his life jacket strap clenched between his teeth because he didn't want to leave this guy behind. He was like, I need both my arms to swim, so I'm just going to hold you by my teeth and drag you to the island. So after the collision, they were stranded in the South Pacific. And over the course of about seven days, he led his men between the islands, swimming a total of about 10 miles. Now, he has a severe back injury at this point, on top of all of the back pain that he had already been experiencing before he got into the Navy. Um, But they swam 10 miles, all while towing the other crewmen behind him by his life jacket until they were finally rescued by American forces with the assistance of island natives. So when do we celebrate St. John Kennedy Day? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was I was reading this and I was like, oh my God, this guy was a literal war hero. Holy shit. Um, So after the end of World War II and the death of his older brother, who died in action flying over the English Channel, and I say he died in action, there was an explosion on his plane. Right. It wasn't, they weren't attacked. He just like, there was an explosion on the plane and he died. Well, yeah. The the first of the Kennedys, I I actually didn't take any notes on the Kennedy curse. I figure we can maybe talk about that at a different time. Um, But that was the first of the Kennedys to die in a plane crash. The first of many. We're going to hell. That's okay. We'll be there together. (laughs) So Kennedy was uh, honorably discharged from the Navy and went home to focus on his short-lived journalism career, uh, which, of course, his father helped facilitate. Uh, Literally just called up one of his buddies and was like, hey, can you get my... He doesn't have a journalism degree. But he's like, hey, can you give my son a job? And he worked as a journalist for about a month. Um, A whole month? A whole month! I know! Holy Um, crap. (laughs) So 
Joseph Sr., who was highly politically motivated and wanted only the best for his family, had originally tapped Joseph Jr. to run for political office, but after Jr.'s death, the responsibility was pushed on John. Um, so Joseph wound up financing uh, John's campaign uh, for the House of Representatives in Massachusetts' 11th District. Um, and this was in 1947. Um, and you sure he, it wasn't 46? It was 47. Okay, all right. I'm just checking. Don't doubt me. This is 1947. Don't doubt me. <laughs> um, well, he he his term started in 47. The election may have happened in 46. So I, we're both right. Yeah, we're so we're both right. Um, okay. So of course he won. Um, uh, and you told me this quote the other day, and I found it to be very funny. Uh, Joseph joked that with the amount of money he spent on this campaign, he could have gotten his chauffeur elected to office. <laughs> And he served uh, as a member of the House of Representatives in Massachusetts for six years. Um, in 1952, he uh, defeated three-time incumbent uh, Henry Lodge to take a seat in the Senate. And the following year, he married Jackie. Um, the highlight of this entire story, honestly. <laughs> um yeah, despite being like, he was like sick his whole life. And this was something that I didn't even really know. Um, I knew that he had a back injury from his time in uh, the, the military, but he just basically was sick from like the time he was a young child until he died. Um, he was critically ill during his time serving um, in the Senate, um, including at one point he received his final rights from a Catholic priest while he was in the <laughs> hospital. Um, and he missed a good deal of time of the, like the, his, uh, his work time while he was in the Senate because of how sick he was, but he ran several successful terms before his eventual run for president in 1960. Um, so, so his presidential campaign was once again, funded by his dad um and his younger brother robert served as his campaign manager um he won the democratic nomination beating out his opponents adley stevenson hubert humphrey and of course lyndon b johnson um eventually choosing johnson as his vice pre presidential nominee despite everyone telling him not to purely he because needed texas yes lyndon b he johnson needed texas was texan and he believed that if he had him on the ticket then he would be able to win the vote and he was right and he, he was, was right, right. <laughs> you'll Correct. see this a lot where um he makes choices that are either impulsive or against the better judgment of other people, and he winds up being right anyway, which is why I think we should only ever elect presidents when they're in their 40s. Um. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, another great quote from, uh, or whatever that is, legend has it that uh, Joe Kennedy went to John during the presidential election, and he says, how many votes do you need? Because I'm not paying for a landslide. <laughs> And uh, a landslide he did not get. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, we're not quite there yet. But um, so when he accepted the presidential nomination, he gave a very famous speech known as the, his New Frontier speech. Um, and he said, quote, for the problems are not all solved and the battles are not all won. And we stand today on the edge of a new frontier. But the new frontier of which I speak is not a set of promises. It is a set of challenges. It sums up not what I intend to offer the American people, but what I intend to ask of them. 
uh, once again, he was an incredible speaker. He uh, has some of the most prolific speeches. So he Kennedy ran his campaign based on economic revitalization, the support of the civil rights movement, and the separation of church and state, which was incredibly important for him to do because most of the country hated him because he was Catholic. Correct. Um, Correct. He, like, there were so many Protestant church leaders who were heavily against him purely because he was Catholic. And so many people were like, do you think being Catholic is going to affect, you know, your decision-making process? And at one point, and this was also a very common trend, he would just get pissed at people like he he like would just he would be patient and nice and stuff and then people would just keep going at him and he would just like lose it because he was like I'm done <laughs> I don't want to deal with you anymore and so at one point someone was like hag like uh, haggling him about the fact that he was Catholic and that it was gonna like make him a bad president and he was like I don't remember anyone asking me if I was Catholic when I was stranded in the South Pacific saving my men in Japan. <laughs> and- <laughs> And that's like, that's not a direct quote, but that is almost exactly what he said. And it's just like, yeah, I get it. Um, Fun fact, JFK was the first Catholic president. Do you know who the second Catholic president was? He's currently in office. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I didn't even know that until I was looking into this. I was like, Joe Biden's Catholic? Oh, okay. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. I don't. I don't Holy really care. smokes! <laughs> hey, somebody write that down. Mike knew some that's there. Like <laughs> college degree oh thing. It's really gone to her head. You know? <laughs> but there's uh, another so- thing. We we covered this in our last our last episode about the news. But the one good thing about when he ran against um, Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon honestly was way more qualified than oh yeah oh yeah kennedy was deeply underqualified but he correct like you say what you want to say and then we'll go on okay well anyway um we we covered this before but what's fascinating to me is it was the first televised presidential debate and they took a poll of people who just listened to it on the radio and like most like a vast majority of them thought that nixon won the debate and then they took a poll of people who had watched it on TV. And since Kennedy looked so young and vibrant and Nixon looked so like, you know, like five o'clock shadow and old and like, yeah. you know, I had those jowls and stuff like that. Most people who watched it on TV thought Kennedy won. And that's mm-hmm. important right there because he never would have got in office, I think, if he would have looked like Hubert Humphrey or something like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah. No, I agree. Um, And there were, I don't think he was really projected to win. I think Nixon was a much more likely candidate as someone with a lot more experience who was older. Right. Um, But as we all know. (laughs) (laughs) Money talks. Yes, money does talk. And both of them wound up being president. And... (laughs) One Neither one turned out so well. well. Neither one of them went well for very different reasons. <laughs> exactly. If you could have stepped on stage at that point and go like, you know what, dudes? You guys probably probably need to like withdraw from the race <laughs> because you're not going to have a good ending to this thing, you know? That's crazy, so, isn't it? Yes. Both of them right there at the yeah, same time. Absolutely. I agree. Oh like that, That's insane. 
Um, so despite all of these hardships that he faced during his presidential election, uh, he won. Uh, he won the Electoral College 303 to 212. Um, notoriously, several electors refused to vote um, because they didn't they didn't want to support Kennedy and his support of the civil rights movement. Um, and the fact that he was Catholic, which I did. I just, it's crazy to me that that is such a controversial thing for a president to be. Okay. When you were doing your research for this, <laughs> did you look into the whole term Southern Democrat? Yes, I did. And they were not really Democrats. No. I'm just going to tell <laughs> no. you, you know, flat they were just out. Like, they were just like a bunch of like rich, fat, college educated dudes who like. Yes. Like just tried to manipulate people into yes. voting the way they wanted them to vote. Correct. Um, so in his inaugural address, he asked both citizens of America and of the world to unite in defense of humanity's peace, giving projections and goals through which he would like to accomplish this. Um, he was very much a leader for the world and not just a leader for America, um, which is something that I really respect because he was very clearly aware of the way that our actions affect other countries and the way that other countries' actions affect us. And it Unlike him... somebody else that used to be president. <laughs> um, you know, and and so he, I think it just made him a much more well-rounded leader um, versus, you know, the other somebody guy. Somebody else. The other guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, However, he did not oversell his capabilities, uh, giving my favorite quote ever. Um, he said, all this will not be finished in the first 100 days, nor will it be finished in the first 1000 days, nor in the life of this administration, nor even perhaps in our lifetime on this planet. But let us begin. Um, which I find to be incredibly inspiring. Um, the idea that he had all these goals and hopes and aspirations that he wanted to accomplish to help move this country in the right direction. But he was so willing to be like, I'm going to get the ball rolling, but it's up to all of us to get it going. Like after I'm gone. Yeah. And, uh, it was a very unifying idea, I think. Um, so as far as uh, when when he entered office, he brought a lot of youth into the office of president, um, almost <laughs> immediately scrapping all of Eisenhower's leadership methods and choosing to fill his cabinet with a mix of experienced and inexperienced people, uh, which we discussed previously. Uh, Biden just did this the same thing. He His cabinet is a mix of young and old people with varying levels of experience. And it's a great thing to do because as long right. as you have qualified in individuals, it doesn't necessarily matter if they've had like 80 years of experience versus they just got their master's last year because right. you're getting all these different perspectives and a lot of different ideas can come from an environment that is so varied. So he was very quick thinking and chose to institute policies that would show immediate results, uh, shutting down the complaints of cabinet members who insisted that he think long term. Uh, he once famously asked uh, a cabinet member who was bitching about the threat of communism. Like he was going on and on. And this was another case of him just being like snapping because he was just like, what? What do you want me to do about that today? I can't do anything about that today. 
And so a lot of his policies were very focused on, we need to like focus on things that we can do that can make positive and important change right this moment. Um, to really, again, get the ball rolling on all of his long-term goals that he had. Um, but this often worked both in his favor and to his detriment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as you might imagine. Yes. Um, as his impulsive behavior got him in trouble with foreign powers, but also helped to get the ball rolling on several important policy decisions over the course of his term. One of the impulsive decisions that he made that may or may not have been a bad one was to ride in a convertible during <laughs> his tour of Dallas, um, despite the warnings of all of his secret service. Service members. Well, you know, um, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know. Ah, uh, so in nineteen sixty one, we're gonna get into. We're so we're, now we're gonna get into all of the okay, stuff just, just, that he just did. Okay, just one second before okay, we yes. close that. Have you ever seen a presidential candidate or a president ride in a convertible since that? Day? No, exactly, absolutely not. Exactly, I'm just saying. I'm you amazed know? we didn't pick up like the Pope technique since then. Like you, you know the Pope mobile. Have you seen the, the Pope glass bubble? Yes, 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 yes. Perfect. You know. Oh my God. Um. So now we're gonna get into the meat of like what he actually did while he was president. Um. So uh, in 1961, Kennedy okayed the Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, which yeah. infamously. <laughs> the um. This is an example of a bad decision. <laughs> Right. Okay. Um, I just want to say that you have gone on and on about his ability to be impulsive and just make snap decisions and everything like that. Sometimes good, sometimes <laughs> bad. Yes. Like when he when he won, he won big with mm-hmm. his decisions on some things, you know. When he failed, boy, he really failed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, Wow, you know? something that I I picked up on from uh, when I was when I was reading all of this information on him and the way he behaved in reaction to certain things, I got the idea that he might have been suffering from some form of anxiety because he would get very upset about things when they didn't go his way. And I don't mean in like a tantrum type way. I mean in like a he would shut down and become like really depressed type way. Um. To the point where, like, other people around him had to start, like, making choices for him because he was like, I fucked up. I can't do anything. And I'm like, dude, same. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, so, anyway, he okayed the Bay of Pigs invasion, which infamously ended with the death or capture of every single American troop, about 1,500 men altogether. The survivors of the invasion were released 20 months after their uh, capture, after lengthy negotiations. Um, As a president should, Kennedy took full responsibility for this failure and appointed a committee to investigate the roots of this failure and why it all went wrong. Um, This uh, eventually led to investigations that became the infamous... led to investigations that along the road would eventually become the Cuban Missile Crisis um, when Soviet ballistic missiles were discovered in Cuba by CIA planes flying over the island. Um, 
So he was extremely conflicted as to how he should resolve this situation. Um, because for three reasons. First, if you attack the sites containing, uh, containing the missiles, this would likely lead to nuclear war. Um, he theorized that there was about a one in five chance of full nuclear war with Russia should he attack these, these missile sites. Mm. Um, the second reason, um, the attack would likely be seen as, uh, by, uh, by an international audience as being a complete overreaction by the United States. After all, the U.S. had their own ballistic missiles being stored in Turkey and Italy at the time, um, which, granted, was a little bit further away from Russia than Cuba was from the United States. (laughs) But still, you can't consider the possession of missiles on foreign soil as, like, a declaration of war especially when we were doing it ourselves. Um, And the third reason that he was conflicted uh, was given what happened during the Bay of Pigs, there was no guarantee that an attack on these missile sites was even going to be successful. Yeah, and I think um, one thing we're kind of glossing over here a little bit, and we might get into it a little bit more because Sarah's on point today, but um, I think is the influence of Bobby Kennedy and all this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Basically, it was like these two brothers pulling all-nighters when this happened, you mm-hmm. know, and it was, you know, there was a lot more people involved in that, but, um, and and they often disagreed on shit, yeah. you know, and, and the thing is, it's like, you know, Bobby Kennedy was John's brother, but he wasn't like a Jared Kushner, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 he was, he had the chops, you know what I'm saying? They both did. You know, John was next in line, obviously, from the throne of Joe Kennedy, you know. But, um, you know, Bobby and John, you know, you can't underestimate the influence that Bobby had on John. Absolutely. I mean, the committee that he appointed to investigate the failure of the Bay of Pigs was headed by Robert Kennedy. And you'll see this over and over again. Robert or Bobby often didn't have like a specific position within the White House, but he was always around. He was always working. And I think the big difference between this and say like an Eric Trump situation is that the entire Kennedy family was highly educated and very prepared for these kinds of political positions. They were always bred to do something like this. And I'm not saying that nepotism is good. Obviously, I would never say that nepotism (laughs) is good. However, like you said, Bobby and John often disagreed with each other on things. And um, this led to a much more cohesive, collaborative partnership between them because it meant that they weren't always just like hyping each other up saying like you're right no you're right no you're right it was a lot of back and forth and like trying to come to the best oh, conclusion yeah um right it, w- it was a much better partnership than what we see happen a lot more nowadays um not that I think that it's right to really be appointing your family members to be investigating your failures. <laughs> But still. Um, so and, dif- and two, what you have to realize. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to move on. What you, 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 you go. And and what you have to understand too is it was a completely different time. Mm-hmm. There was things that went on, okay, that nobody ever knew about. Okay? Oh yeah. And it wasn't, you know, and people today just can't understand that, like, 
you know, John could be a philanderer, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. yeah, because that's the way it worked back then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it wasn't like today where you, everyone knows your every move yeah. and they, you know, they microanalyze everything that you do ever because there wasn't cameras everywhere and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't even cameras on John F. Kennedy when he got murdered. Yeah. You know, except for the Zabruder who hoisted his secretary up on one of those pylons in Dealey Plaza so she could record that, you know. And there wasn't any cameras on him. Yeah. Now, you think this would happen in today's day and age? No. No. There'd be 10 cameras on any president at all times. Yeah. You know? So what he did, he did in the moment. You know, it was what he did when he did it. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's, we don't know everything and we never will. You know, but it because people back then kept their mouths shut. You mm-hmm. know, I'm just gonna say it. You no, know? they did, and, and it, it was much easier to keep your mouth shut back then. Um, exactly. What, what you actually see examining the Kennedy presidency is that, in more ways than one, he facilitated the beginning of what we now know as being like the information age because he participated in the first ever half hour news segment on television. He participated in the first ever um, televised presidential debate and his murder was like the biggest news story to ever happen and was spread right. all over the place so quickly. You think about the previous, the like the previous assassination that occurred, um, that of Abraham Lincoln. And you know that like, th- it's what's so weird to think about is that not, most people in the country probably didn't even really know that Abe Lincoln was assassinated because they didn't right. like it was so like out of their radar um, that they were just like that. A lot of people just didn't even really under like know about the presidency or anything like that. So when you skip ahead, literally just like almost exactly 100 years in the future and right. Kennedy just like birthed what became like the the news era. Where, where right. the news really became what we know today as being the news. Um, what's so funny and like what I didn't even get into when I was taking my notes because it didn't matter. He had extramarital affairs with like eight different women. Right. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. Like, it doesn't matter. It didn't affect no. his presidency at all. It probably affected his family behind the scenes. But it's like we said in, I think, the first episode. No, no, no. It was it was last episode when we were talking about the news and the handling of the Clinton impeachment. We were yeah. like, I can't believe this man got impeached for receiving a blowjob. It's like, it's it's not even, well, he got impeached for lying about a blowjob. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, but but the, 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 so what, what gets me so much about this is like, it's not even that he received the blowjob. For the most part, it's just that the Republicans hated him and wanted him gone. JFK probably received like 80 blowjobs <laughs> in the whole office. <laughs> But it doesn't matter. It didn't affect uh, his, his ability to be the president. That's not why we're here talking about him. I mean, it does matter. Don't cheat on your wife. But like, you know, <laughs> as far as his presidency don't goes. Don't cheat on your wife. Right that, that's my advice to everybody out there. <laughs> don't cheat on your wife. 
Got it. My husband's in the next room and he can hear every word that I'm saying. I hope he's taking notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, as far as the Cuban Missile Crisis goes. So the decision was eventually made to commit to a naval quarantine during which all Soviet ships exiting Cuba would be inspected by American forces to ensure no nuclear weaponry was being transported. Um, less than a week later, Khrushchev agreed to have the missile sites disassembled and the Cuban Missile Crisis came to a close. Another thing that I kind of glossed over was the weird rivalry between Kennedy and Khrushchev that was occurring, like Kennedy's entire presidency. And Khrushchev's banging on... With his shoe he took his shoe off <laughs> and he banged on the fucking desk with his fucking shoe yeah i'm like is that not great television absolutely you Kennedy... can't write that shit if you wrote that shit people would be like that, no. that never happened you know so kennedy pissed off khrushchev very early in his presence oh yeah very like 1961 he like went to a summit and he just pissed off khrushchev because he was yeah. like obnoxious and aggressive towards the other leaders. Like he was trying to like, you know, show his chest and like right. be bold. And what he actually did was just piss off the like <laughs> leader of of our biggest enemy at the time. Right. And so they were just rivals. The entire, it was, it's like so funny to think about the like, it's, I want to say petty rivalry, but like it involved a lot of like nuclear missiles. Yeah, that's rivalry. not petty in my book. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> um, uh so uh anyway um what <laughs> <laughs> were with nuclear destruction nuclear or destruction you know marital extramarital affairs um jfk's presidency here. was heavily colored by the cold war you know he was like oh, i yeah. said during the cuban missile crisis he believed they had a one in five chance of going into like all-out nuclear war with russia and mm. this was before um, the like mutually assured destruction conversation happened because I believe that was late seventies, early eighties, uh, amongst the United Nations. Um, but it was still like oh, back nuclear, during Kennedy. Yeah, back during Kennedy's mission. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, you keep interrupting me. Back during the Kennedy administration, what the Russians had militarily compared to us was like minuscule mm -hmm. it was a fraction okay yes and this is not on topic but that's why truman didn't have to drop the bomb on japan but he did just to show the soviet yeah. union what <laughs> oh, we yeah. had you know i mean that would be another day but anyway um oh, yeah. what i'm gonna that say is whole episode <laughs> back in like 62 whenever the cuban missile crisis happened Russia was like minuscule compared to us. There was never would have been mutually assured disruption. Yes, millions of people would have died. Okay, but we could have wiped Russia off the map back then. You know, yeah. And and that's what you know. In growing up during that time, during this whole Cold War time, especially in the seventies, you know, when it got really, really like bad before Gorbachev got in there. I mean, it was it was scary. I mean, I they had like. You. TV movies of the week about like, you know, like, you know, the end of the world and shit, like the day after and shit, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, fuck, you know? Yeah. But so it was, it was scary growing up during that time, you know, but, but of course the desks in the schools were made such that <laughs> if a bomb went off, you get under your desk and they were like nuclear bomb proof because that's what's going to save you. <laughs> 
It's 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 a it's so somewhat akin to nowadays where it's like if there's a shooter in the school, you just turn off all the lights and you get <laughs> real quiet. <laughs> and maybe they'll think it's Tuesday. It's got to be a holiday. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. in school on a Tuesday. Exactly. Exactly. As though when they entered with their weapon, they did not see everybody and then hear right. everybody reacting to the fact that someone right. entered the school with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Our country is broken. <laughs> All right. Back to Kennedy. Uh, So in reference to growing tensions throughout Latin America concerning communism, Kennedy said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable, which is always relevant. (laughs) It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, So to contain the perceived threat of communism in Latin America, uh, he founded the Alliance for Progress to provide aid and campaign for more established human rights in those affected countries. Uh, he later assisted in founding the Peace Corps. He literally like went to Congress and he was like, we got to make the Peace Corps. And then I think his younger brother, <laughs> Edward. Is that what he said? Yeah, he was like, we got to make the Peace Corps. <laughs> That's how he said it, too. I okay, remember good. I was there. Um, uh, and I think his younger brother, Edward, was the actual founder of the Peace Corps, but kind of oh, facilitated Teddy. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he and he continued efforts to provide aid to affected people in South Korea and South Vietnam and put forth efforts to remove American troops from Asia, but no official decision to withdraw was made before his death in 1963. Um, he, he was a pretty nonviolent person for someone who like snuck into the military. <laughs> he, uh, he, yeah. um, like it, the, the I read, I I kind of glossed over it, but he really did want to bring the Vietnam War to an end. Um, that was one of his main goals. Um, of course, it, it he did not accomplish that, and it didn't end for another twelve years after he died. Um, but I found that to be really interesting because I had never really correlated the two things, mostly because I never really co- like I I didn't know until recently that the Vietnam War was twenty years long. Yeah. Like an idiot. <laughs> right. The um the thing the thing about that war was it was and I like Johnson. I do. Um not everything I don't like any everything about anybody, except for you, of course. Oh, thanks. But uh but uh the um a lot of it was politically and monetarily motivated, the Vietnam War. Yeah. There was there was so much that was hinging on the Vietnam War, the war machine they called it. You know, because there were so many young people going over, there was so much machinery, there was so much everything that they needed to do this, you know, and stuff like that. So that's why it drug on for so long because the pop they, they wouldn't it's like they wouldn't, you know, until like Kent State when it really got bad, when people saw it on TV, you you didn't, you know, people saw it in the news but they didn't see what was going on behind the scenes yeah you know and kennedy wanted to just cut it off cut off the head and kill it you know what i'm saying because he knew that you can't sometimes you you have to you have to walk away yeah you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i think johnson was swayed by money maybe and powerful people and 
you know, even though Johnson got elected in 64, which he, I mean, he would have had to been like, you know, dead and not get elected. But, um, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Uh But even he knew he chose not to run in 68 because he was just done with it because there was so much going on. I mean, can you imagine running for president in 1968? Well, Richard Nixon could because he did. (laughs) Because he did. But... (laughs) But 1968, this country was on the precipice. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. There was so much. I mean, I can't even imagine. You think the world is bad today, Sarah? Mm. I mean, yeah, I was five, so the I end, don't really know. Well, but no, the end of the 60s the t- is 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 one of the most tumultuous times in American history. Right, right, yeah. Absolutely. And, and then, you know, the thing is, it's like with Johnson, I think, he just basically like was just like he gave up. You know, he was just like, okay. I, I've served all these years and everything like that, you know. I'm just going to, like, leave it to somebody else, you know. And yeah. Bobby was right there, you know, except for Searhan, Searhan, you know. It's just, God, who could have known, you know. And and then, not to get too far into the curse at this point, because we got more to cover on yeah. John, but <laughs> the, um, you know, it, I mean, John Jr., I mean, you know, what do they call him? John John or whatever, you know? Yeah, John John. I just wanted to see him grow up because he looked like a president. I didn't yes, know that much about absolutely. him. Caroline was a smart one, I think, but John just was so charismatic. I mean, he was just, he just looked like America, didn't he? I mean, he was just like, and when he flew that plane into that ocean, I was like, you dumb motherfucker, dude. <laughs> All you had to do was like hire somebody to fly you there. I know. So anyway, um, let's let's get back on your schedule. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more to cover, um, and if we had more time to get to, we would. But I'm just gonna like kind of hit you with with the, the you greatest hits. Um, so his foreign policy tre- uh, stretched to efforts throughout the Middle East and Ireland, where most of his family had emigrated from at the end of the 19th century. Another huge aspect of his life where Irish Catholics specifically were being heavily discriminated against throughout all of Ireland and England. Um, so the fact that he was also being discriminated against for being Catholic in the United States while also being Irish is just mind-blowing. Um do you know what the racial slur was for an Irish American? No, what was it? Mick. Oh. Why do we have to have why, why do we have to have you, racial slurs? I don't understand. You dumb fucking Mick, get back on the boot. You know? Okay. Got that it. was that was the thing. It was like the N-word for Irish Americans. Good. You know? Ugh, anyway. That, man. Anyway, right. go ahead. His domestic policy focused on federal funding for education, health care, and protections for the rural poor and an end to racial segregation. However, the civil rights movement would grow stronger and last longer than his presidency as he struggled to make much headway in deep southern states. And this was literally a pattern his entire presidency. Every time he started to make headway, Mississippi was just like, no. So nothing really got done. Uh, He put his money where his mouth was, though, signing an executive order to enforce equality in the workplace, regardless of one's race, creed, color, or national origin. He signed a second executive order in an attempt to eradicate discrimination in housing, forcefully supported uh, students of color attending predominantly white schools, often calling in military troops to enable uh, students of color to enter their schools and not be harassed by people outside. Um... And he pushed for federal legislation that would eventually become the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I was going to talk about that. Okay. Not not that I have a lot to say about it, but I think that people forget that it was mostly Kennedy. I mean, you know. Oh, oh my God. 99%. Basically, 
Johnson inherited like the Yankees. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he won the World Series, but people forget that some of the, a lot of that shit that Johnson did was Kennedy. You mean you know like saying? the economy in 2016 or 2017 yeah, exactly. when yeah, Donald exactly. Trump came into office and the economy was jacking up and everybody was yeah. like, look at what he's doing. And it's like, no, exactly. Obama did that. Right. <laughs> and he just came in that like exactly that. Um, yeah. Like, I don't I don't even think the civil rights movement was a blip on Johnson's radar for the most part. I think he just kind of went with it because his boss think, was going with it. Yeah. I think he did. I think he was, he he had a gruff exterior Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's like famous stories about reporters on Air Force One and stuff where Johnson would just walk out for an interview naked, you know, and they'd be like, (laughs) oh, excuse me, you know, he he didn't care, you know, he's just that kind of like old cowboy, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but I think, I think he did have a lot of great ideas like that too, you know? So anyway, um, okay. In 1963, Kennedy signed into law the Equal Pay Act, which outlaws payment discrimination based on one's race or gender. In August of that same year, he worked with organizers and military troops to facilitate the March on the March on Washington, a famously peaceful protest during which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his benchmark I have a dream speech. Not a single protester during this event was arrested. <laughs> Interesting how when the president is willing to facilitate and listen to protesters, it doesn't have to become a violent ordeal. Correct. Um, he showed concern for the plight of... He also was, like, deeply impressed by the entire protest. He said, like, the, the notes said that he was deeply moved and had so much respect for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Um, He showed concern for the plight of Native Americans, instituted immigration reform, and promised to get Americans on the moon, among other progressive ideals he planned to carry into his second term. Um, His economic policies caused the country's first non-war-related deficit. However, he managed to turn the economy around and it would grow and prosper throughout his presidency. He also, like, this is just a note, he may have been inherently opposed to the death penalty. I don't know, but if he was... I love him. Uh, As he commuted one federal death penalty sentence to life in prison and abolished the mandatory death penalty for first degree murder in the District of Columbia. Um, So I I can't say for sure because I tried looking up to see whether or not he like spoke outwardly about being opposed to the death penalty. But this is the 60s. So even if he was, I highly doubt he would have like campaigned on this. Correct. Correct. You know, and I think, um, you know, like like we talked about earlier, it's like a love-hate thing with him, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of like with somebody else that used to be in office. But, <laughs> the, um, you know, and uh, I think with Kennedy, what really helped his, his, his image in the public realm is that he died so young. Yes. You know, and the same way with James Dean, you know. Oh, yeah. I didn't think James Dean was like an amazing actor, <laughs> but he was, he was handsome and he died young. So it's like, everyone's like, James Dean, James Dean, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And it's like, you know what I mean? I think, Ke- I, I also think, I do think that Kennedy was very ahead of his time. I think that oh, yeah. his, his ideals were so much more progressive than anything another candidate had brought into office. And he did it so sneaky because like he didn't he wasn't like so out and about with how progressive his ideals were until he was already in office and then he was like 
by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I I don't think like the Peace Corps and like, you know, what was it? The uh, Civil Rights were actually, I mean, I don't think they were that radical at the time. They weren't super radical. It was just hard to get people on the side of those things because and what it all comes down to is people being very deeply rooted in what they believe in and not being willing to budge if the person who is telling them something is on the opposite team there have been several republicans over the past few years who have said point blank this is not about democracy this is about winning And that is not a new concept. I'm not saying that our government has always been the complete shit show that it is right now. But like those ideals did not just come out of nowhere. People have often throughout history had that concept. This is why George Washington did not want us to have political parties. (laughs) Like before, right before he died, he was like, please. (laughs) please don't let them have any political parties one of my one of my favorite little political cartoons i've ever seen was uh a a little it was thomas jefferson and i don't remember who the other one was but george washington is like leaving the room and he's like all right guys i'm heading out and while i'm gone no parties and then as soon as he leaves the two look at each other like he 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 he, we're gonna have parties (laughs) And it's so funny because the political parties formed almost instantaneously after he died, too. <laughs> have you ever read the book John Adams? I have not. It's really good. It was I'm probably John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were the two guys in the in the comic. It was. We'll, we'll talk about this off mic. Anyway, um, you, what's your next? You uh, we're moving on to the assassination. Uh, so the warning, I'm going to get a little graphic with describing the assassination because it was horrifying. Um, So Kennedy embarked on a political tour of Texas in 1963, the final stop of which was to be a parade through Dallas, a city notorious for the negativity the Dallas Morning News harbored for his administration. They literally fucking hated him. And like they they spread so much slander and negativity about Kennedy that after he died, Jackie Kennedy went on the record saying uh, like she she the reason that she went out in her blood smeared sweater she said was because she wanted Dallas to see what they had done to her husband. It in I it, his name escapes my mind. What was it? The owner of the Dallas Morning News. I don't Do remember, remember what his name was. I didn't look okay. that up. That dude was the dude who absolutely fucking hated Kennedy mm-hmm. to to the point that he basically the owner of the Dallas Morning News was the Dallas Morning News. In other yes. words, that's back in the day when you could tell people what they could write and what they couldn't write. Mm-hmm. And that dude right there was responsible for the death of John F. Kennedy. I'm just Absolutely. saying. You know? It, it's, I definitely agree. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald was a very disturbed person, and he was also very easily swayed in one direction or the other. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. go into any information on him because I was going to, but honestly, I don't really care. But a detail about him is that while serving in the military, he defected to Russia. Russia was like, no, we don't want you. So they sent him (laughs) back to the US. He then tried to defect to Russia again. And Russia was like, no, we don't want you. He could be convinced to go with whoever was handing him the biggest margarita. Yes. Yeah. 
He, um, I think he even went to Cuba once, didn't he, or something? Mm-hmm. I think so. I, yeah, I can't he remember. Was, he was definitely in the in the Gulf at, at one point. He was stationed uh, down yeah. on the coast. Um, yeah, and he bought that gun mail order. Did you know that? He did, and he bought it under a fake name, and that is one of the pinholes of the conspiracy theory because they're like, <laughs> yeah. did he buy it under a fake name or was it just a different person? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kennedy was warned not to parade through the city in a topless car due to the dangers presented. However, um, he held incredibly fatalistic ideas and spoke throughout his life about his willingness to go when his time was up. Um, He believed that should he die violently while facing the American people, that was the way he was meant to go. Um, While driving through Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963, He was shot twice, once in the back and once in the head. His injuries were so grievous that his brain matter was found in the car and on the ground surrounding it. Jackie attempted to hold his head wound together with her hands uh, until they made it to Parkland Hospital, even at one point offering pieces of his skull and brain to the trauma surgeons attempting to save Kennedy's life. Um, He was ultimately pronounced dead about 30 minutes after his arrival. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald was later arrested for the murder of Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett, whom he'd shot out of panic when Tippett approached him shortly after the assassination. Not with the rifle. He also had a a revolver on his person uh, when he uh, committed the assassination. All in all, Oswald killed Tippett and Kennedy and critically wounded Texas Governor John Connolly, who was in the front seat of Kennedy's car when he was shot. He was hit by the first bullet that entered uh, Kennedy and went through. Um, Oswald's rifle was found on the sixth floor of the Texas book depository where he worked and the purchase of the gun, as well as the bullets fired from it were all traced back to Oswald before he could ever see trial. Oswald was shot to death by nightclub owner, Jack Ruby in the basement of the Dallas police headquarters. Jack Ruby Best was photograph ever. Oh my God. It's insane. Jack Ruby was, uh, put in prison, but before he could stand trial, he died of cancer. Um, he was likely already diagnosed with cancer before he shot Oswald, but it's unknown as to whether or not he actually knew that he had cancer. Um, but that's one of the theories is that the reason that he went out and shot, uh, Oswald was because he was like trying to go out in a blaze of glory. Well, here's another time reference thing. Who would take an accused a person accused of killing the president of the United States through an open police station and parade him around in front of people who weren't really like supposed to be there. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Back in um, the day is what I'm saying. Today that would never happen. That's another really heavy part of the conspiracy surrounding Kennedy's death because they're like, Oh, I bet. Why did they take him around for everybody to see? Of course, someone like you could sneak a gun onto an airplane at this time. Oh, Actually, shit. you didn't even have to sneak. You could just have it in your pocket, and you'd they'd yeah. be like, "Is that your gun?" And you could be like, "That's my gun," and they'd be like, "All right, he's <laughs> bored." Uh, like it's you could take guns anywhere at that time. Like, why did they not think that someone was going to attack Oswald? It like it, it never fails to amaze me. Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't Kennedy, believe in conspiracy theories, so. <laughs> I don't either. I do find, I do find the, like, I don't want to call them plot holes, but, like, the little holes throughout this whole thing, I do find them to be interesting to, like, theorize about, but I don't believe in any of it. Oswald shot Kennedy because he was a disgruntled veteran who was unable to defect to Russia. He was maybe trying to shoot Connolly. 
But he shot both of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, here's the one conspiracy theory I do find fascinating, okay? Which is? I was born nine months and two days after Grandma and Grandpa <laughs> were married. And I have, nev- I have never seen their wedding certificate, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Let's see. That's awful convenient, ain't eh? Oh, okay. Anyway, back anyway. to the subject at hand. Uh, so Kennedy was buried in Arlington National Cemetery on November 25th, 1963, commemorated yeah. with the light. Yeah, that's the day you were born. Right. Uh, commemorated with the lighting of the eternal flame, which still burns to this day. I got to go see it when I went to go visit Washington, D.C. a long time ago. My last I've visit- never seen it. You've never seen it? It's no, like it's like you're it's like you. It's like it was born the same day as you. Nice. <laughs> um, right. It's actually it's a it's a really wonderful monument. Uh, it's kind it's hard. The only thing is, it's really hard to photograph because it's just like it's a fire that's maybe this tall. And so, like, you're trying to photograph a fire in the middle right. of the day. <laughs> right. That's only like eight inches tall. <laughs> But it is. It's a, it's a wonderful monument. If you ever have a chance to go to Washington, D.C. and look at all of the, like, amazing memorials and monuments that are all over the place, mm, absolutely beautiful. So what happens if that thing goes out? Do I die? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's connected to your soul, actually. You will be dragged into hell <laughs> the moment the flame yeah. flickers out. You're like, damn, what happened? I don't know, but they're talking about something in Arlington. I don't know. All right. Um, Last thing. My final bit is on his legacy. Um, So the legacy of John F. Kennedy is robust and profound. He served as a baseline for future progressive candidates and the waves they could make in the American political game. Um, Despite his privileged upbringing, his concern for the underrepresented populations living in this country was apparent from the moment he took office. Uh, His decisions, though often impulsive and occasionally ill-advised, led to some of the most groundbreaking advancements this country had ever seen. He was not perfect by any means, and he made more than one mistake during his time in office. I chose not to focus on them because I just, I I like him. And so I just wanted to talk about the cool shit he did. Um, But he was the symbol of youth and forward thinking in a time when this country really needed it the most. Despite his death cutting short uh, what likely would have been a continuously prosperous presidency, his inaugural speech continues to ring true to this day. For though he did not accomplish everything he set out to do when he was elected, he most certainly and fervently began and seen. (laughs) Yeah, I think that um, uh, what's funny is the Roosevelt's and the Kennedys were connected at the hip kind of, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, he clashed with Eleanor quite a lot. I think that John Kennedy really carried on the legacy of Teddy Roosevelt and this vibrant, healthy, you know, even though he wasn't healthy, he seemed healthy, didn't he? Like John, you know, I mean, he seemed, you know, and I think he carried on this, that America's quest for like wanting like the new, the, the, the healthy, the strong to go forward. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think he really built on that. You know, so another thing too, like not to backtrack too much, but another ironic thing about Joe Kennedy was even though he made most of his millions through financial dealings, which were legal, by the way, through the stock market. Okay. (laughs) He was the first director FDR in the early thirties 
appointed him the first director of the SEC, which oversees the stock market, which is kind of ironic. Because it is. He had to oversee the rules that he took advantage of before they were <laughs> rules. You know what I'm saying? It's like, remember all those millions I got? You can't do that now. Okay. Mm. So anyway, go ahead. But anyway, we're closing that's, up now. That's the end of my notes. Um, there was There is so much more that you could cover in the life and the legacy of John F. Kennedy. Um, he was such an incredibly prolific figure in this country's history in one of the most tumultuous times. Like the 1960s is some of the most fascinating, horrifying, amazing time in this country. Right. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, you had JFK running everything that he was working on right alongside, you know, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the greatest civil rights activists ever to live in this country and, you know, working towards a better future for everybody who lived here. And yeah. that was that is something that I I highly admire in a leader, someone who cares so deeply about every single person who lives in this country and not just the ones who are lining his pockets. Yeah. And I think that, I think that a, a lesson for younger people today is if you think the world is such a bad place, they should really go back and read in depth about the sixties because yes. what Sarah just touched on, you know, I had a discussion with this about like three years ago with somebody at work and stuff. And I was like, you know, everyone talks about how bad everything in the world is today. Like, it's so bad. It's the worst it's ever been and stuff. I'm like, go back and live through the 60s, you know? I mean, look at all the shit that was going on in the 60s. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, literally. You know, it's like, and it wasn't just like uh, Martin Luther King and, and John. It was, it was like Bobby and Malcolm X too, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there was so much. The Ted Offensive, everything was like, it was, it was, it was a, a crazy decade. So anybody who is listening to this or is interested in history at all, please read about the 60s. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's famously, uh, the 60s were a time when some of the most prolific figures in American political history got their start. I mean, one of the most famous photos ever taken of Bernie Sanders is of him <laughs> getting his ass beat at a civil rights march. By nice. some cops who were trying to break up the protest. Nice. So, I mean, and this was in the 1960s. And while, you know, Donald Trump was sipping caviar from a silver spoon, Bernie Sanders was out there, like, making a, like, making a <laughs> difference in right. this country. And uh, while Donald Trump was trying to get out of going into... Uh, war into the draft by pretending he had bone spurs. JFK <laughs> had chronic back pain and severe health issues, and he just <laughs> snuck in because he really wanted to serve. Yeah. So I want you to take into consideration the the braveness and the boldness of your leaders before yeah. you elect them. And that is the story. Not the complete story, but my most complete story of the life and legacy of JFK. It's our take, anyway. <laughs> and, and what we highly recommend is that you don't listen to one person or read one source, that you research everything. You read everything, you listen to everything. That's what we're about. Because Absolutely. that's what we do, you know, because we're just one, like, little side note to whatever, you know. 
So anyway, give me your uh, social media spiel there. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at Zoomer, the number two, Boomer. Follow me at Sarah S. Wilton. Um, We kind of have an inconsistent upload schedule right now, but we're going to try to get it down, nail it down to exactly when we're going to be putting uh, episodes live. Uh, You can find us on Spotify, uh, Zoomer to Boomer. It's very easy to find. Um, yes, it is. And that is, that's about all I have. Do you have any grandpa quotes for me? What did I think of the other day? <laughs> I don't um, know. What did you think of the other day? Did I already mention the home again, Finnegan thing? Yeah, I I last time. Okay. Yeah. What did he, what did he say one time? I remember. How about the plate with partitions? Did I tell you that already? No, what's that? When we were picky about, like when you're a little kid and you don't like your baked beans <laughs> touching your potatoes or something like that. You know what I'm saying? He'd be like, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to get you a plate with partition. <laughs> Which I guess was an insult back in the day or whatever. <laughs> but I'm going to have to start writing these things down. I'm going to tape them to the wall right yeah. here next to, next to the computer. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. <laughs> see you.